So 2 Corinthians chapter 13, it's on page 970 in your Pew Bibles, beginning at the first verse. <clears throat> this is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit. But if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realise this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come to you I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. First reading is to 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 to 15. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ. May the grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, 
and brotherly affection, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will then fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I am in the body to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able to able at any time to recall these things. The second reading was Second Peter chapter thir- chapter three, verse fourteen to eighteen. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them, of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist into their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lost people and lose your own stability but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, to him being glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I remember in, uh, when I was in full-time ministry, um, for years, it was always a joy to hear young children and babies. Um, some people, especially the mums, find it really embarrassing and hard, but it's just a joy to have young people and indeed babies in the congregation as part of the church. So, uh, God bless them all. Well, over Christmas, as I'm sure many of you did, we enjoyed time with our family. There are 23 of us now, including 13 grandchildren, and we were all able to get together. But what's really great as we go through the years is to see the grandchildren particularly growing in experience, in skills and in maturity and indeed spiritually as well. The Apostle Paul concluded his second letter with uh, the words that Karen read just before. But grow, grow, 
in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And just as um, parents love to see their children growing and developing, so God our Father loves to see his children making progress to maturity uh, in their faith in the Lord Jesus. Growth is the evidence of something being alive. Well, dead things don't grow. Well, I suppose they can grow more putrid, but you know they don't grow in any positive and good sense. God wants you and me to be growing in our faith in 2024. And this is a really important matter for God's family. It's not some kind of optional add-on, but something that's important for every one of those who profess to be the Lord's, to follow Jesus. Back in the Old Testament, uh, there were two prophets who prophesied to God's people after the return from exile in Babylon. They were Haggai and Zechariah. And what had happened was that over a period of time with persecution and opposition, God's people had lapsed into a kind of a stagnant, dull religion. They were more concerned about building their panelled houses, as Haggai calls them, fancy places, than they were in rebuilding God's temple, which was a really important thing to be doing, but had been neglected for many years. And through Haggai, God said to them, Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Pay careful attention to what you're doing and what you're not doing and get back on the right path. And in the New Testament, Jesus Christ counselled the church in Ephesus. We have these words in Revelation chapter 2. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So both in Old Testament and New Testament, this concern that God has for his people, that they be growing in their affection for him, for their worship of him, their service of him, is reflected in both of those passages that I've read and many other places as well. Maybe it's something that you and I need to hear for this new year. This is the first Sunday of 2024. Maybe it's something we need to hear, not simply uh, New Year's resolutions, but maybe a New Year revolution, hence the name or the title of this message. Now, uh, George has mentioned that in the news sheet today there's a URL, a link, uh, a web link to a paper or an article uh, by uh, a chap, Donald Whitney, and uh, I really encourage you to have a look at that if you have the means and opportunity. Um, what I've done, um, unusually for me, I have to say, this is not the way I usually preach, but this time, a bit different, I've picked about six or seven of those suggestions for growth that we have there in that article by Whitney, and I've sort of shown how they are biblical, they come from the scripture. So, let's dive into it, and we've got, I say, six or seven of them, and I won't be here for four hours, but we'll try and look at them seriously. The first one that I picked out is enjoying God. Enjoying God. Delighting in God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is one of the important documents in Presbyterian Church history, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and many people are familiar with the first question and answer. 
What is the chief end or purpose of man or mankind? In other words, what did God make us for and what are we supposed to do? And the answer comes, man's chief purpose, man's chief end is actually twofold, two things which are one purpose. Two things, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Short of catechism. A singular purpose with two sides of a coin. To enjoy God and to glorify him. God made us to display his glory. That's what we're here for. That's what I'm here for. That's what you're here for. To display the glory of God. (coughs) But not in any kind of a forced, you know, I've got to do it because it's my duty, but so that we enjoy him. So that we enjoy or delight in him. Delight yourself in the Lord, the scripture says. And indeed, John Piper, a famous uh, pastor in America, has said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. To glorify and enjoy God, two sides of one coin. Now God has demonstrated his love for us by giving his own son to be the saviour of the world. Jesus has fully paid for sin. He's risen victorious from the dead. He's ascended to heaven, taken his seat at the right hand of God the Father and through the Holy Spirit is still at work in the world as he prays in heaven for his people And one day he's coming again in glory, in power, to judge the world in righteousness, to judge the living and the dead. And because of all that, it's possible for you and me to enjoy God, to glorify him for all that he is and all that he's done. So, the first question that I would put to you from the article that's linked in the newsletter What's something that you can start doing in 2024 to increase your enjoyment of God? To increase your enjoyment of God. What is it that will feed and nourish your joy in the Lord? Now this is not about what other people might do. It's not about the the preaching of the Bible in the church. It's not about the responsibilities the Christian has. Christians have for each other it's included down the line but it's about what you and I may prayerfully be seeking to do in response to the grace of God in Christ and his call for us to be growing to be developing and increasing in these godly character things you and I are commanded to rejoice in the Lord Jesus so our first question is how? What are you going to do in 2024 to increase your joy in the Lord? If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, hey, you haven't got the first base yet. You've got to consider who Christ is and submit your heart and give your heart to him and put your trust in him and then you can start on this pilgrimage. But today I'm focusing particularly upon the Christians, upon those who believe in Jesus, who want to progress in their faith, who want to develop and grow. So that's the first thing. How will you increase your joy in the Lord this year? The second question is this, number two, loving the Lord. What can you do in 2024 to increase your love for the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, this follows very, it's very closely related to the first question, isn't it? 
love and joy in the Lord. It's about rejoicing in the Lord. It's about loving the Lord. Listen to what Peter wrote in his first letter, chapter 1, verse 8. He says, Though you have not seen him, and he's referring there to the Lord Jesus, though you have not seen him, you love him. I'm often challenged by that. Do I love Christ? trust him, I believe in him, I know he rose from the dead having paid for sins and he's coming again in his glory, he's praying for us today. Do I love him? Do I love him? And Peter goes on, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. Inexpressible joy, full of glory. Wow. But you see there how love for Christ is linked to joy and also to believing or trusting in him and rejoicing. And not a mere joy, mind you, but a joy that is, quote, inexpressible and filled with glory. Does that describe you? Does it describe me? Is this the kind of joy that we have in Jesus? that Peter describes here, because that's God's will for us. Not a mere joy, but that kind of joy, inexpressible, filled with glory. Does that describe you? A love for Christ that lives with great joy. What can we do in 2024, what can you do, what can I do, to increase that joy in Christ, that love for Christ? Well, why do Christians love Jesus? What's the basis for that? What's the ground for that? Well, there are, of course, many reasons that we could point to, but let me point you to one passage in Scripture. It's in the first letter of John, chapter 4, and verses 14 to 19. John chapter 4, verses 14 to 19. And I read, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in, in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. There, there's a lot in that passage, I'm not going to stop to try to expound it right now, but particularly in those last words there. Why do we love the Lord? We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. God is love, as this passage reminds us, and that love between the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit that existed, exists in God before creation, before time and space were made, in his amazing grace, that love spills over into a creation to create the world in the first place, but then when the world falls into rebellion and sin against God, that love continues to spill over to save the world. So Jesus is described there as the saviour 
of the world. Have you put your trust in Jesus as Saviour and Lord? Brother and sister, if you have, you are eternally safe. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing can take you out of his hands. His grip is secure for all eternity. If you belong to Jesus, you are safe in the day of judgment. God the Son loves you. His giving himself on the cross is the epitome of that love. As John writes in 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Do you think that he stopped loving you after he rose from the dead? Do you suppose that this one who came from heaven, humbled himself as a man, was born of the Virgin Mary, lived and preached and died, that when he had finished on the cross and he said, it is finished, that that was it, he sort of washed his hands of us and got on with other things? No, he did not. In heaven today he prays for you, Christian. He prays for you, non-Christian, who has not yet trusted Jesus as his Lord or her Lord and Saviour. He continues to pray for his people. He longs for you. He longs for your heart. He longs to see you and to know you. And one day he's going to come for you. Unless you go to him first. He didn't stop loving you after he died for you. He died for you because he loves you. And he never stops loving you. How to grow in your love for Jesus? Don't think of Jesus as a mere facilitator of your salvation. He's not the, you know, the man who did this and did that in order that you could have salvation. He loves you and that's why he gave himself on the cross for his people, for all those who trust in him. So think of him, dear friends, as the one who continues to love you today, tomorrow, yesterday, in the future. Meditate on that. Think about that. You want to grow for love, in love for Christ, as we all should and do? Well, meditate on his love for you. Not just at Calvary, but right now. <coughs> and a love that will never fail, never fade, but goes through to eternity. Meditate on that. Give thanks for that. And pray that as you do, that your love for Jesus will grow. And to love Jesus is to love God, for Jesus is God. What will you do in 2024 to increase your love for the Lord Jesus Christ? We haven't seen him, but, says Peter, we love him. And we're filled with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. Thirdly, and shorter, love your family. Now God has put us all in a family. Some of us are older and we've lost parents and maybe siblings and maybe even children. But we all belong eventually to some family. A family is like a little school or a little church, even a little country. Family is a place where love is meant to flourish and it's why it's so painful when families fail. 
when marriages fail, when relationships break up, when people become alienated from one another, when love is replaced with resentment and jealousy or even hatred, just like schools and churches and countries, humans and human sin can ruin the most beautiful garden. But even in such sad cases, Christians, those who trust in Christ, still have a duty of love. We're called to love our husband, love our wife, love our neighbour. And when things get really bad, we're called to love our enemies. We've got no excuse, I have no excuse, not to love my family. Now, Christian love is not, first of all, about feelings. It's not about emotions. It's about commitment to the good of others, a sincere, heartfelt commitment to the good of others. No matter the pain that I have suffered, I have a duty of love to others and especially to members of my own family and especially to God's family. But let's leave that for a moment. I'm just speaking here at the moment with our human relationships. We have a duty to do good to them. Now that can be hard. I'm sure there are some families that didn't get together for Christmas. I'm not saying here, but in the world, in Australia, New South Wales, families that couldn't get together because of this lingering, burning resentment and disappointment in each other. Brothers and sisters, we need to transcend that. We need to look at how Christ loves the unlovely and then determine that we're going to do the same. So the third question, what is the single most important thing that you can do to improve the life of your family, whoever you may be and in what relationship you may have, to improve that life in 2024? What can you do? What can you do to put love into practice? Now, you know, there are no simple formulas here. There's no pat answers. There's no one, two, three program to follow. But there is something you can do, isn't there? Isn't there? Something to forgive, something to encourage, something to confess to others. There's an endless menu of possibilities. What is there in your heart right now on this subject of what can I do to show love to my family? And what are you going to do about it? Over to you. Number four, spiritual disciplines. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear those words. <coughs> Maybe you think about, you know, fasting from food and uh, other good things or uh, self-flagellation, you know, whipping yourself and hurting yourself deliberately. But in normal English, a discipline is a field of study and practical work. So, you might have a, the discipline of history study, of chemistry, pure and practical, pure and applied, agriculture. But what about spiritual disciplines? What, what, what's that? And what's that, how does that work? What's it supposed to be? Well, I would suggest to you they're not really very different. Spiritual disciplines are courses of action that you take, courses of thinking and action that we take to deepen our love for God, for others, and to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. So it's kind of repeating what I was saying before, but looking at it from a slightly different angle. Spiritual disciplines are, is, are, is that commitment to think, to pray, and to work 
for growth. Growth in myself, growth in others. And again, this is something very personal. Um, and, you know, I could stand here for 20 minutes trying to think of examples, but I won't do that because I just need to explain the principle here and then challenge you to put it into practice. Spiritual disciplines are things that you choose to do. They're things that you choose to do, prayerfully but deliberately. They're not fruits of the Spirit, in one sense. They're certainly not how I feel, but they're activities that you choose to do to deepen your knowledge of God and your walk with Him. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says, in the New American Standard, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And the newer version is train yourself. It's the same thing. It's like an athlete training uh, for you know, the cricket match or for the high jump or whatever it is. Train yourself for the purpose of godliness. Being like God. What are some examples of spiritual disciplines? Well, I'll quote from the article that I've referenced in the newsletter. Uh, Don Whitney the author of that article says, quote, So, you read the Bible. That's something you do. That's a spiritual discipline. You meditate on Scripture. You pray, you fast, you worship, you serve, you learn, and so forth. These are activities, says Whitney. Now, the goal of practising any given discipline is not about doing, as much as being about being. Being like Jesus, being with Jesus. But the biblical way to grow in being more like Jesus is through the rightly motivated doing of the biblical spiritual disciplines. To devote yourself, for example, to special times of prayer. Extended prayer and meditation upon the Word of God. To fast, and in the Bible fasting is always linked with prayer. To fast in order to create more opportunity to devote time to prayer uninterrupted prayer for meditation and prayer. It may be to undertake a time of retreat, even for a few days or longer, in order to focus on the Lord, to learn more of him through his word, (coughs) to engage in extended focused prayer for church, for family, for nation, and especially for those who don't yet believe in Jesus. It's to budget your time to create opportunities to serve others. Maybe a phone call, an email, a text message, a letter, a meal. The fourth question is, in which spiritual discipline do you most want to achieve progress in 2024 and what will you do to achieve it? Number five, time wasters. In Ephesians 5.15, Paul writes, look carefully then how you walk or live, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. How thoughtful are we about our use of time? It's a precious commodity. You don't get it back once it's passed. But you can accomplish much if you use it wisely. I'm somebody who tends to react to uh, to situations rather than to plan. It's a character fault or a deficiency in me. Um, A situation, a message or whatever, I'll take the time needed. How about you? What are you like? And what about when there are no demands? I have a tendency to putter, to sort of read this, to be busy doing that, fix the other, 
until next time somebody calls or rings up or my wife tells me to do something and then I'm directed to that particular activity. I guess that probably one of, if not the greatest, time waster in today's society is entertainment. Entertainment in all its forms. Written material designed not really to inform or educate, but simply to distract, to entertain, to amuse us. Audiovisual materials such as television, both the free-to-air and streaming uh, services, also cinema, other forms of uh, audiovisual entertainment. Why, why are there so many entertainment options available? You know, if you if you go through and look for a, a movie to watch on one of the streaming services, there's just gazillions of them. People have spent millions of dollars making all these films, which are fictional mostly, and they're there to entertain us, to distract us. And that's what it's about. Entertainment distracts us from the pain of life. Am I wrong then? What do you think? I think it's about distracting us from the pain of life, of bad memories, of broken relationships, of feelings of powerlessness, of a sense of my own lack of worth. And so... I'll tune into some Netflix movie or watch Tom Cruise you know, bombing somebody out of existence, whatever it might be. But so much of this is sub-Christian, isn't it? It's not Christian, it's below Christian. Rather, as those who trust in Jesus, we should embrace our identity, our standing with God, who we are. We don't need to be distracted from who we are because it's the best, there's nothing better. And God has given it us in Christ. The knowledge that the cross we bear will one day be exchanged for a crown makes the bearing of the cross a little lighter. Now life is not random or meaningless. The world is charged with the grandeur of God and all things serve his glory and our good. Now there is time for relaxation and entertainment. I'm not suggesting a hair shirt Christianity here by any means. Even Jesus took time out for himself and for his disciples. Come away to a desert place. Just take it easy for a bit, recover, recoup your energy. But it's not an end in itself, is it? It's not a mere distraction. It's about refreshing the batteries. It's about renewed in your purpose and getting recharged and ready for the fray. So the fifth question for 2024. What time wasters will you eliminate from your life and what relaxations will you embrace? Sixthly, building God's church. Ephesians 4, 15 to 16, let, let me read it, just three verses, and ask the question, what is God calling us to do here? The Apostle writes, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way, into him who is the head, that's Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Did you catch that last bit there? So that it builds itself up in love. Paul is saying that the church is built by human activity. 
but you know your Bible and you say, wait a minute, doesn't Jesus say, I will build my church? That's not an alternative. It's both and. Both are true. Jesus builds his church using you and me. We all have a role to play if we belong to Christ. <coughs> and he, because he works in us and through us through the Holy Spirit. So that our feeble efforts and our distracted sort of approach to things and all the rest, with all their weakness and failings, Jesus somehow uses all that to build up his church, to provoke, promote his people's well-being and growth. Elsewhere the Apostle puts it like this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Get busy. And then the great motivation for us to work? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The work of the Holy Spirit is the work that's going on in the hearts of Christians. What an amazing thing that you and I, with all our sins and failings, with all our weakness and all our bad history, we are Christ's instruments for building the church. That's an astonishing thing. But then the question comes, doesn't it? What can I do? And I mean I, meaning you, or me. And the answer is going to depend on your gifts. It's going to depend on your opportunities. It's going to depend on your resources. It's a matter for prayer. Lord, show me how I can in some way help to build your church, both in strength and in numbers. And as I do, seek to do that. Show me those areas of strength, those spiritual gifts with which you have equipped me and are equipping me and encourage me in the use of those and the development of those gifts, whatever they may be. So the sixth question, and this brings me to my conclusion, you'll be pleased to hear. Uh, The sixth question is, what will you do in this new year to contribute to the building up of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. What are you going to do? It's over to you in many ways. Over to you. Finally then, conclusion, new or rerun? A final question really, it's a summing up question. Will this year see new things happening in our lives because we've made good choices or will it be like a rerun of the sound of music? Oh, not again. You know, 2023 is like 2022 and 2024 is going to be the same again. The hills are alive with the sound of music. What's the most important way in which you, personally, will, with God's help, make this year different from last year? And I'm not just talking here about New Year's resolutions that fade and die about three weeks after we make them. This is about an attitude change. It's about a a change in our entire outlook because Jesus wants his church to grow, to grow in strength, to grow in grace, to grow in numbers and we're all called to play a part in that process. We thought about six things and there are many more. If you check that article that's linked in the the newsletter uh, you'll see there's loads of them, dozens of suggestions and again it's over to you 
if you feel challenged by this, then, you know, get some information, get some data and start praying about it. And indeed there may be others that you can think of that have not been touched on by me and certainly, uh, certainly not by me and perhaps not by him as well. But it's up to you and me to answer the question, what will I do in 2024 to contribute to the spiritual growth of others and myself? What will I pray for the Lord's help to do? What will I do to create more time for working with Jesus to build his church? Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, you are indeed building your church using the most unlikely of materials, us. But Lord, we read in your word that that's your plan, that's your purpose, and the reason is because you get the glory, not us. You use the most uh, feeble and unlikely tools and instruments to accomplish your purpose so that when it's all done, everyone will say, Lord, what an amazing God you are and we can be the means of bringing you the glory, even as we enjoy serving you in this way. Grant us that joy, grant us that enjoyment, grant us the wisdom to see where we may be able to contribute to the purpose of God in Christ. Please help us, we pray, until your name be the glory, now and forever. Amen.